Greetings, superstars. Welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz, your one-stop 5D superhero listening spot. I'm Danny Katz, transformation agent, empowered badassery coach, and quantum languaging consultant. And I'm so happy you're here. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated version of yourself. We do this by sharing quantum languaging upgrades, conscious communication tools, witchy life hacks, planetary service announcements, and high-vibing, deep-diving conversations with original thinkers, visionary weirdos, and rebel badasses. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. <laughs> Be sure to hit that subscribe button and to join us on Locals at dannycats.locals.com where you can watch the video versions of all our episodes including those that are a little bit too spicy for the non-free speech friendly platforms. And it's also where paid subscribers can tune into the second half of all my interviews and enjoy a plethora of other bonuses, including live monthly Q&As, unpublished writings and videos, and behind the scenes intel. Join our quickly growing tribe of high vibe superstars at dannycats.locals.com. Okay, now that we've got all our housekeeping out of the way, let's enjoy today's episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today I am joined once again by synchro mystic, gonzo storyteller, calendar disruptor extraordinaire, Michael Wan. You can enjoy the first half of our conversation for free on whatever platform you're listening on or viewing on, and you can find part two on my locals page, dannycats.locals.com, where paid supporters get access to all of my second half interviews and oodles of bonus content and monthly live Q&As with me and our High Vibe Tribe. You can also find part two on my Patreon, patreon.com slash dannycats. Before we get into it, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you can stay abreast of my every next episode. And buckle up, enjoy my conversation with Michael Wan. Acknowledge that it's summer, Michael Wan, with us. You have your your summer Barbie look on. So literally, literally, like all this week, I've been talking about like you know it's so strange around here. It's like being in the Pacific Northwest. It's misty and it's cool, and I'm wearing. And then like today, it changed. Today it changed. Like it went summer from came. from uh, yeah out of nowhere, and so it was a it was a big shift. It was like I wasn't used to being so hot. And so it came really fast. And then um, this is where we are now. And I'm learning <laughs> what that what that's like here. Because I'm, right. I'm at Gnome Countryside. So can I tell you about like the sweetest part of it? Yes, please do. So, so it's kind of like, a, you know, like, like the, I'm, th- I'm, 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 I'm calling it a resort. All right. But, but like traditionally it's known as a place 
where children would come and it's often their very first uh, experience in a, in a forested environment. So like first graders, that sort of stuff. And there's a whole program and it's like a, a real, a real uh, um, treasure to the community. Uh, maybe about like eight or nine acres. And it's like in all this farmland and there's this wooded swath that kind of runs, runs in between some different like far Amish farm patches. And it's where there's like the, the, the reason why it remained wooded is because it's kind of like where these, these ridges go down into canyons and to where, where the water is, because that's just like more difficult to farm, I suppose. This is me trying to apply my logic to being Amish. So, so, that, so, so, so give me a little create or, or, or flexibility with that. So anyway, uh, like, but looked at from another perspective, like this is where all the magic is, right? This is literally the like riparian buffer where the water and the land and the canyons and the evolution, uh, the, yeah, the heights change. And so, the front part of of the property is very much like uh, geared. It's it's been it's been hand carved and polished into this beautiful like trail, and it's it's for children. And it's, it's it's done really nicely. And then you go down the back, and and that's also open to the children as well. But it doesn't always you don't go there, and that's where the magic spot is. So. <laughs> all of this is about the heat. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, going down to that spot is like it's it's unbelievably picturesque and particularly in in a in a in a contrast to where i was the last time we spoke when when i was in bali in baltimore and this has a sereneness as a different type of beauty that beauty cannot be matched but um but you feel really really like isolated and in in the wooded area and you're under the canopy and there's like these bends in the in this creek that goes by it's a big creek like 15 feet 20 feet across uh babbling and um it cools you down and so you're in the shade you're by the water you're like just a five minute walk from your house and like no one's near you and it's just like you know it's just, it's 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 a really that's how i that's how i plan on beating this heat <laughs> how about that it's like i gotta beat the heat it's a fine plan. Okay, here's my question. Is the magic spot magic because it's cool and shaded and you get some solitude there? Or is there other magic that happens in the spot? Well, I, I don't think they're really one. I can't, I don't think, I think we're, you're describing the same thing. Like when- like Do you like, manifest things out of thin air? Are you learning to levitate there? Is it a- To that battle? level? To that level? Mm. So it's too, it's too soon to tell. Okay. It's too soon to tell, but <laughs> uh, the degree of the, the poeticness in which things have been showing up in my life has certainly gone up uh, an octave or two in the week since I've been here. And is poeticness different from synchronicity? Well, I would say it's a little bit more polished synchronicity. I would say it's one of the same. So it's like synchronicity is a recognition of a po of an uh, in my my definition is a recognition of the poetic interconnection behind life. You're like, oh, I caught it. Look how beautiful it is. And so then there's a continuum. There's a continuum of how poetic. Like if if you're someone who likes poetry, if you're someone who really can understand poetry as an archetype which expresses itself in infinite um uh, uh mediums and i would say all human beings when they're human are, are love poetry uh yeah so what i'm describing is it's a little bit more poetic uh but i'm not seeing anything that is as extreme as 
prior to being there, I could not levitate. And then for some reason, I begin to float up. Like, no, it's not like that, that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Is that where they floated up? That has not happened yet. I'm holding the vision. Yeah, I, I appreciate the yet because it's, it's early days at Gnome Countryside. It's early days in terms of you being in relationship with the magic spot. I think the fact that you've named it the magic spot is going to bring more magic into your experience with it. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And so, um, so we're, we're, we're on the same page and I like to dance, like the way I look at it, like I, in many ways, I like to live life on the edge. In a lot of ways, I'm the most conservative person in the world. Like, no, I'm risk adverse on that. But there are other things where it's like, I go to an edge where I feel very, very comfortable, which I recognize a lot of other people don't. Mm -hmm. um, and another way of how I understand that edge, because it's not uncomfortable for me. It's like my norm. I'm just, it's just like in, in context to someone else's norm. They're like, wow. Um, and we all work that way. So um, like it's smoke, like whatever smoke is, like if you really think about like, well, what is smoke? Like it's, it's real, like it's material. It can leave stains on your wall. You can see it, you can blow it, but you can't grab it. You can't put it in your pocket, mm -hmm. you know? They're like, they're like some like hacks. You're like, well, I could put it in this bag and hold it. But like, what is it? And smoke, it exists in this realm, which we literally can see, which is, it's not quite physical, but it's not quite spiritual. And that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an edge. Mm -hmm. And that's when I talk about the magic spot and I was kind of like, like obtuse with my, with my definition. It's like, I'm respecting that edge. I want to hold that bubble for as long as I can because I don't know what it's going to be. And I don't want to claim it's something it's not because I want to be sovereign with my language mm -hmm. and I want to be like integrity with my language. But at the same time, like, yeah, you're supposed to not have expectations, but I kind of do because I see the smoke already. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> as a word nerd, um, sometimes people ask me what my favorite word is, which I feel like is kind of a ridiculous question because hyperbole can be tricky. Like, what's your favorite song? How can I choose? And it's the, the you know. I'm insulted you put favorite in the question. How about this? Let me tell you a song that I, I enjoy now. Well, and when I've been asked my favorite word, what consistently comes to mind is liminal. So as you're describing this edge with which you seem to be more comfortable, I, I'm feeling the word liminal. Those, exactly. Those in between edge spaces. Oh, oh, liminal is a word which is which is deep in my in my lexicon. There, okay. you know, I don't think I have a particularly wide lexicon. I know, like these are the words I like to use, and particularly when I get like a, what they used to call like a fifty cent word. You know what I mean mm -hmm. by a fifty cent word? Oh yeah, it's like, a big what, one with like, lots of it, syllables. <laughs> well, well, I think it's relative. It's relative to what you think your lexicon is. And when it's slightly like when you're outclassed, like that's your 50 cent word because right, you, got right. so, you got some people who like, you know, their, their, their vocabulary is much larger. So within my, within my personal realm, liminal is one of my 50 cent words. Like when I'm pulling that out, like I'm pulling out like my heavy guns. And, the, and I like it for, for these two, for, because it, it, it's, a, it's, here's another one of my favorites is twofer. Like that's one of the greatest, the greatest descriptions I like to, I can give through word form. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How's that for uh, my hyperbole? So it's my, <laughs> one of my personal favorites to give. You know, I get a zing. If I, you hear me say twofer, you know that I'm getting a zing. And it, do you know what a twofer is? Is that like a win-win or like excellent multitasking? Kinda, it's two for one. 
right. wh- which is what you're kind, which is what you're saying. But right. it's got like this poetic sort of thing. So the two for for liminal is this, like the idea, because you're absolutely right. Like that's a riparian buffer in the in the natural world mm-hmm. is the literal ecosystem liminal space. And like you, you talk to like the ecologists, they're like that's where that's where all the magic happens because right. that's where it meets because everything everything worthwhile and 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 mysterious and like and and where all the action happens everywhere in our realm is always where it meets in that real like liminal space but that's not why like that's part of it that's part of it it's the lm phonetics like i get really really like turned on by certain sounds like certain consonants and like the the like the lm is definitely like the way that like that 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 unfolds in your ears in your low their temporal lobes right like it's re- you're being received like whatever that meaning is you still feel it with that 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 lm okay can i blow your your earlobes right now go right ahead i was once referred to by a shaman as a liminal criminal a liminal criminal oh isn't that so good? A liminal so so they're too so okay so all right all right this is fun so liminal liminal criminal is sneaky because that's sneaky you know why because you just told me you just told me you just told me that someone who is able to see deeper into the nature of reality referred to you as a liminal criminal. Mm-hmm. And if I hear someone of that insight calls you that, my first thing should be pause because criminal normally has an implication. And so liminal means access. And so you want to ask yourself is like, well, what does that mean? But this is where it's dangerous because it's such ear candy. You forget all that. And you're just like liminal criminal. I like how that sounds. Right. Right. Um, I call wait, that the, you, the, there's a certain angle. I call it the Machiavellian angle. Okay. So it's, it's a concept, but I'm going to describe it visually to you. Okay. Okay. So, so picture like you're standing and you're important. Like your, 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 your judgment matters. Okay. Okay. Like literally not like within your own mental space, like what you decide, like has real world consequences. Like I'm the queen of the multiverse. Bingo, bingo, liminal criminal. So you're standing (laughs) there and then there's someone, there's someone who's like, I don't even know how they got there, but they got there and they somehow have your trust and they're standing behind you. They're not directly behind you, but they're behind your left shoulder. Mm-hmm. And they kind of whisper behind you as you're looking over all of the people or the world which you have control over. And they're just whispering. Like that is, if you're the person standing there, that is a very um, vulnerable spot. Mm-hmm because of what you're looking at and where that information is coming in. And like, that's right on the temporal lobe, like it's right there. And that is to like, it's that, like what we're describing the criminal, like the way that sounds like that sort of ear candy, like it has that potentiality. That doesn't mean the person behind you has anything like it, that it's it's nefarious or it's it's wrong, but it's just immensely vulnerable. And so like all of those sort of words and uh, plays. Like, I, I really like thinking about that way, like the psychological play. Right. Uh, so, so the way you described it sounds so sinister. Just, just to clear my name, <laughs> he meant okay, in terms okay, okay, okay. of doing a lot of psychedelics 
and downloading a lot of higher divine wisdom and not yet grounding it into 3D reality through integrative practices, which is far less sinister than- Totally less sinister. <laughs> totally less. And like, that is, that's, to me, that lot, so that's a limit, that's one of these lines because everywhere, like wherever you could bring your awareness, like once you develop your awareness, like whatever it is that you like to do, you realize that whatever you put that on, like um, instantaneously uh, becomes in context of what you're looking at. So I just said, like, I like to look, I like the liminal space. So when I see something, like I'm always seeing that sort of that, that line and one of my favorites, and, and this seems to be really a part of like, like consciousness and, and this realm or how, whatever words you want to use to describe whatever this thing we're doing is. And it's like, as soon as you get near tr truth, it is so easy. It is so easy to make the assumption of like, good guy, bad guy. Right. Like, it's like when you start like, like learning about the people in history mm -hmm. and you start learning about like, all, and like immediately, like you're going to have like a, uh, like, oh, oh, this is, this is good daddy. So he's good guy, you know, and I, I you go team or it's like, oh, this is bad daddy and no bad guy control, but it doesn't matter because you, you don't know who they are and like you meet them. And so understanding that line. Uh, is like a lim a mental liminal space because there really are bad guys out there. They're really good guys. And it's like how you like meet that. And, and I love that. I find that a lot of fun. And what you just described was exactly that. And as a storyteller, I like to play and flirt with that line. It's like if I could give you enough information to just to go this way or that way. Like, I'm not saying nothing. I'm just like, you know, and that's the dance. Like, that's what you do so beautifully is when you when when you demystify propaganda, when you demystify basically the weaponized version of the knowledge of that's just how words work. Mm -hmm. That's how consciousness works. And that's how words work. And this is how people who, who understand how words and consciousness work interact with people who don't. Thanks for that. I love that description. Okay, so what you said was so synchronistic in terms of what I was writing this morning before our chat. And I also want to acknowledge that I haven't introduced you yet. And I'm still gonna put that off. Okay. <laughs> because I wanna continue this. It's fine, terms, right? Because this is more real. Because <laughs> Exactly, this is how we're playing. Um, so in terms of, of like meandering in the liminal and connecting with capital T truth and how that can then move us to differentiate between good and bad. I think that good and bad and all polarity constructs, right, wrong, better, worse, left, right, black, white, are enslavement constructs that obscure truth. And so I think our wisest move when we hone in on a capital T truth is to issue the urge to jump into any of those polarity constructs and just stick with the I don't know and allow the capital T truth to show us what it is and also to allow space for paradox within that. That's it, that's our dance, right? That, and, and I always look at that as a skill. Like, and what I mean by a skill is it's something to be honed. You know, that's why it's called a practice. Like, like it, it's not like, oh, one day I have it figured out. It's like, no, you're all like, if you're a professional pianist, like you don't like reach a certain level and be like, you know what? I, I practiced enough. I, I'm, I'm going to say there's one exception. Okay. I'm going to go and put a big asterisk because this is one of my favorite things. Do you know who Alan Iverson is? Basketball? Yeah. 
Oh, I'm so proud of my, I, I want to end the show right now because that's a high for me. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a good one because I mean, I, this is weird because I have no idea when I'm gonna, when he played. Like it could have been 20 years ago. It could have been 30 years ago, but I know he played. It was back in a time where like I knew who Allen Iverson was. Okay. So Allen Iverson, like he, there was something special about him. So just like, that's all we need to know. He was like one of these special players. And part of it was like, he had a certain level of authenticity in how he carried himself. So that would be to the um, inversion of how Michael Jordan was presented, mm -hmm. all right? So just like looking at it from those. So Allen Iverson was that guy. So Allen Iverson, who was like six feet tall and in trouble since the beginning, uh, but like, just like his heart on his sleeves and he brings this team to the finals, all right? He played outside of Philadelphia. And, and you know, like how they play the game is like, then they go and they put the people up on the stage and the people with the microphones ask them all those questions. And there's this like love-hate relationship. It's like, I need you to like me enough that you could be open and I need to go and twist your words around so that people listen to what I got to say. And right. like, this is the dance. And we travel to all the same games. Like, this is like, like, it's a weird sort of thing. So, okay, so that's going on. And it's like the, I'm pretty certain it's the NBA finals. So in the world of the NBA, like, this is it. Like, this is, this is, this is the highlight. And Allen Iverson, the guy who just like, shouldn't be able to like lead everyone, like who leads everyone and gets in the finals and they go and they, He's always in trouble and and he missed a practice and he's at a press conference and i think they may have even like lost the game they might have even lost the next game it was like a press conference after the game and one of the reporters starts asking alan iverson about him missing practice and alan iverson just kind of like loses it he's like seriously like, are you aware of what and whom I am? Like, I carried this friggin' team from nothing. Like, like the whole world is against me and I don't care because I did this. I got a lot going on. You think me missing one practice the day before this game is gonna make, the, you think that's what this is? And you're just like, damn, you're right, Alan. <laughs> So when I said like, you know, maybe there's a point where you don't need practice anymore. That would be my one example where, where maybe I'll, I'll, I'll step off of that, that square. Okay. Not to be a contrarian, but I totally disagree because that's Allen Iverson being all about Allen Iverson, which would be fine if he were a gymnast or a singles figure skater, but he's playing a team sport. And there's something to be said for the morale of the team working together as a unit, where I feel like that would probably affect team morale if someone ditches practice the day before a big game and is holding this attitude of like, I'm the shit and I'm the reason we won. That so, wouldn't work for me on the team. So you, you raise a really good point. And so part of this is maybe I did not at least paint it the way which Alan Iverson is presented because there's a possibility this entire story is scripted, but I find this fascinating. So um, the reason why Alan had that response and one of the reasons why he was so beloved is because he was human. He wasn't perfect. He tried his best and fell down and he's like, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And the reason why he was so beloved is because he was the ultimate team player because he did everything for his team. And that, and like, that was, that was it. Like he couldn't have, when I say he carried the team, what I meant was he was the glue. Like there's mm -hmm. certain people in a team sport where when they are on the team, everyone is better. Right. 
Like not everyone has that, whatever that quality is. And so this guy had it and he had his heart. Well, um, you know, <laughs> like Michael Jordan was notorious for just being like, everyone hated Michael Jordan. Like he was the worst teammate. Right. Uh, so, so Allen Iverson, he snapped. And what he said was justified. You're right in the fact like it wasn't the highest path. And he's like, but, but that's why it was so awesome because this is who he has always been. He's like, you know, I reach for the stars, but I'm, I fall. I'm just human. And mm -hmm. you can see in his actions that mm -hmm. he really, like, you know, he really does try just like any of us, just like any of us who are like, you know, trying to hold our note. And I don't think it's an easy thing like to be famous and to be like a sports superstar and to like, all sorts of gain, like, like that's not an easy thing to do. And so like when, when, when you could go and meet the story. So I, you know, this is me. I'm a, I'm a, I always root for the human in someone. Like I'm a, uh, I, you made this comment to me about being a big softy, but like, this is it. Like I love, like, I want to go and find that in everyone. And so, so yeah, like, like that is, that is my, <laughs> I'm gonna go meet Alan Iverson that way. Like I meet everything. That's the liminal space I choose to fall over. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like there's a Machiavellian whispering behind me, get bad advice, but <laughs> still a good time. It's not me, it's not me. Not you, not you, because you're the one who goes to the other realms and you pull in the information which no one else could get. I do what I can. You do what um, you can. All right, so that changes about Alan Iverson. I appreciate the context that he was always this sort of team galvanizer. Michael, we're back for another show and it's only been like a month. <laughs> time's gotten weird for me. Has time gotten weird for you or is it just me? Okay, time has gotten exceptionally weird and today's show is all about time. And just to contextualize it for our aliens of devoted listeners, um, after our last show, Michael and I stayed on for another, I think it was another two hours. I could, in my mind, it was quite a long time. And we got into talking about time and the project that Michael's working on. And Michael suggested like, let's do a show about time. And let's do it sooner than later. And it happens to be the new moon today as we're recording, which has something to do with also why we decided to do the show so quickly after the last show. So I just wanted to kind of seed the groundwork with a little bit of context. And yes, time has been cuckoo for me. How are you experiencing it? <laughs> uh, so when you said, when you said like this happened a month ago, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I quickly go to my mental, my mental Rolodex of that. And I, I'm like, I can't even like, it seems like, no, that wasn't a month ago. That was a really, really long time ago. Like th there was that. And then listening to the detail you just brought to the conversation, like it was kind of like recalling a dream. It's like, like right on that. I love the I, liminal mental space. Like it's like, it's just right out there. It's like, how can I suck it back in? You know? Right, right. It's and like, you can't look at it directly, but you can't you, look at it. Right, yeah. right, right. Kind it's of sideways, like, like come to me, but I'm not, there's no pressure. <laughs> it's exactly, it, it is that dance. It's like, how can, this is my favorite thing. Okay, so um, that's, time is kind of like that. Like it, um, it seems anything that is not within maybe uh, a very short amount, uh, maybe 24 hours, like it begins to blend into when did that happen? And, and uh, it, 
only in conversations like this, where we're actually talking about something like that, does it become, oh, do I become aware of it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something like, I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's not that at all. Um, but yes, yes. Uh, that was my first response. I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, and then I want to go into why the new moon and what's going and why that's significant about our conversation now. Okay, cool. So I, for me, it also feels strange that that conversation was a month ago because I think it's about been about three weeks that like a week feels like a year now. Um, it, it's very strange in terms of how long, like from a Saturday to Saturday, that used to feel so much shorter. And now it feels like lifetimes in between. Um, so it does feel to me like our show was that much you know longer ago i'm gonna i think that's a phrase now Um, and also mercury retrograde this to me aside from being an ass kicker of a retrograde feels like the longest retrograde i know they're always the same amount of time but i feel like now i just live in perpetual mercury retrograde and that it's never leaving that's how much my experience of of time's alleged onward ticking is is happening in in my realm. So let me well, and 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 so I'll talk a little bit about about um about this in detail. Can I talk about this in detail? Because please, talking, please detail us all up. Right. All right, all right, all right. So um, normally Mercury retrograde is low on my like the things which I follow. There's certain things I follow, and I'm like this is high, and then certain things I don't. But I know that Mercury retrograde is a thing. Like I'm aware of it because of the starboard, but the amount of weight I personally give to it would be less than what I would give to any normal new moon. Like in terms of Mike's value system. Yes, ma'am. Do you have anything in Gemini in your chart? Which which chart? Your natal tropical. Sidereal or tropical because tropical? they say I'm two different people. Tropical. Yeah, I got a lot in Gemini. So I feel that intensely in my short relating with you. Like for me, it's very prominent. And I feel like Geminis have a complete, like you're like Gemini energy, of course, has a different relationship to Mercury because it's their home planet. So I feel like when it comes to Mercury retrograde, that anyone with strong Gemini aspects in their chart is kind of already living there or is already impervious. There's just a whole. Uh, all right, living little criminal. All right, living little criminal. You just nailed it. Uh, yeah, that's 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 probably an accurate description. If I want to go and look at my chart as a, a a means of understanding behaviors that come out of me in in inherently um, in tropical. You know, I personally am not of. Uh, I know my signs, but I I I've been putting less and less value into it, but we're going to talk about because I know we like to talk stories. So tropical, uh, I've got a, um, a 12th house Gemini moon. Okay, wow. so, what that, so what that means is like moon, 12th house moon is like, is, is always like a kind of like, woo. and then Gemini is, you know, when you add in this like communicative both sides, coupled with a, with a cancer rising. So the cancer rising then gives a little bit more juice to the moon on top of it. it like it makes it like a, a dominant and even more dominant because the moon is always dominant. So it's all of that. Um, and that coupled with, uh, I got Saturn and Gemini as well, but that's in the 11th house. So it doesn't have a 12th house uh, connotation mm-hmm. as the moon. But uh, yeah, I, I relate, I relate um, archetypically very strongly with that. And, and 
you have a you have a, a prominent um, 12th house quality as well. And what I described is is very conducive to like being able to see things in a similar way or feel things in a in a similar way. Like there's a oh, we're kind of like dialed in. We can understand that. But I'm going to throw this into the mix and then I'll let you respond because you're going to like this. You're going to like this a lot because this isn't a normal Mercury. Like, like this, like Mercury retrograde, but there's something else in retrograde. You know what else is in retrograde? Aren't a zillion things in retrograde? Well, right now, no, they're two. Uh, or two of the things which were normally trapped. I want to guess Pluto. Well, guess what? You guessed right. So, so Pluto in, 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 in retrograde is a little bit different. To me, that's much more interesting than Mercury in retrograde. Like Mer Mercury in retrograde is kind of like, oh, we got a mosquito in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, like when you're lying in bed and you hear the mosquito and you're like, oh God, this just kind of like sucks. And like, and like, what do I want to do with this? How do I want to meet this? I don't want to get upset because I'm getting ready to go to bed, but it's like, I still don't need this mosquito like, like singing in my ear. So that's Mercury in retrograde to me versus like Pluto in retrograde is like, hey, your house is on fire. <laughs> so, okay, so that's just normal. So that's what you wanna do is understand the relationship of Pluto and Plutonian uh, archetypes within your own chart. And then you wanna go and look at your life and see and ask yourself, does this hold weight? Like that's, that's how I meet this dance, okay? <laughs> So I know in my chart that Pluto, Pluto holds a very, very significant location. It sits right on the bottom of the chart, mm -hmm. right on the bottom. Anytime you got any planet on any of the cardinal points, it's like it's amplified. And then where at the cardinal point it's at is like the flavor of the amplification. Mm -hmm. So Pluto's strong in mind. Now in your chart, your Pluto sits right on your descendant. So that's a strong position as well. And so both of us, have this like strong, or anyone, I mean, I'm just saying you and me because we're talking right now, but like anyone, when you go and look at your chart and chances are, uh, if you're, there's gonna be like really obvious ways in which a particular part or something is, is it shows up in your chart. You could find uh, that some things are gonna be obvious, like we said, like, you know, it's gonna be right on a cardinal point or, or maybe a conjunct your son or something like that. But then anyone with any degree of, of, of imagination, you're gonna find a connection somehow. So like, it's all connected, but it's particularly connected with you and me. And that may, I could see like the Plutonian quality with the, with the um, Mercury quality would definitely add to a general, I think the term is wonkiness. Is it wonkiness is what they would say? And I don't know if that comes from Willy Wonka or not, or if Wonka comes from wonkiness. Oh, now I want so to do a two an etymology lookup. <laughs> okay, I'm looking up the wonky really quick. Right. My guess is that it predates Willy Wonka. I would think so too. I want it to. Um, 1919, it definitely predates. All right. So shaky, you know groggy, unstable. What is it? It means shaky, groggy, unstable, unknown origin. And then there's a German shaky or tottering. All right. Now, so we already, I made one reference to Wonka a little bit earlier in terms of the floating. The floating. Up. Now, and now we're, Wonka is always interesting. So just to go, because I like to go to tangents, but we're going to pull it back. We'll pull it back. Because <laughs> we gave a little astrology. We gave a little bit of personal insight. Now we're going to go because I know you like this stuff as much as I like this stuff. Okay. So what do you know about the author of Willy Wonka? 
Nothing. Who wrote it? Oh, wait. Who was it? The James and the Giant Peach guy? Is it someone different? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So I was obsessed with James and the Giant Peach as a kid. I read it over and over. My parents were like, we can buy you another book. And I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> no, no, thanks. Why don't you guys take care of your business? I right. got the under control. <laughs> And um, yeah, don't, don't forget to don't forget to shut the door when you leave. Seriously. <laughs> All right, I could I could just imagine I could just imagine eight year old Danny. All right, so so what's that author's name? I can't think of his name. He's written a whole bunch of stuff. He wrote like the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, which was a great uh, Wes Anderson claymation. What, what was that? The thing with like Bean and, and like there were the three guys, Bean and Butter. They all had B names. Because I remember reading it to my sons when they were like maybe five or seven. Yeah. All right. Do you know this guy's background? No. Oh, my God. It's so good. So I'm going to try to do my best. Like, this is such a complex story, and I'm not going to make it that complex, but I'm going to do my best to remember it off the top of my head. So there was... If you're you're familiar with your, your OSS CIA history, okay? But you know it exists. I know it exists, and I'm excited right. to be more on top. Uh, and you know, and you know that in our world, that 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 is the symbol of the ultimate bad guy, tricksters, right? Yeah. Uh, and really, all state-sponsored espionage, right? It's not just those. It's that's like you know, we got Mossad, MI6, uh, all of the uh, uh, um, KGB, all of that, like that. So okay. So. World War II is really what, you know, the history books tell us is what really brought America into the world stage, world superpower. Mm-hmm. Like we were kind of set up from World War I, but it was after World War II is really when, like, you know, everything became uh, U.S. focused and, and all that sort of stuff after the world was divvied up and all the new. So, okay. And we know that in the world since then, that the CIA and all things connected to that and MKUltra and all of that, it all kind of goes through there. So, okay. There was an organization, an organization that came into North America. And everything I'm going to tell you is like so easily, uh, um, uh, so easily verified. In fact, I did a, I did a two hour, I was on, t- uh, I was on, um, what's it called? The Higher Side Chats. This is my favorite presentation ever, which I did on this one. So I go into it in great detail, but there was this small organization of British intelligence, which came in, which was headquartered in the Rockefeller building in New York City, Rockefeller Center, and more or less was the behind the scenes of what created what would be like Wild Bill Donovan and all of like the early CIA and OSS. Like this was the guy who was like, this is how you do it, buddy. It wasn't like there was some guy coming out. I I think he came out of Buffalo. who was like, oh, I know how to build the world's greatest intelligence. No, someone who already is part of the world's greatest intelligence system was like, this is what you do, Mm -hmm. right? This is how you do it. So this is the group. So the group is called, I think it's called BSC. It stands for like British... William Stevenson is the name of of the character. And if you look at him, he looks exactly like Pierce Morgan, but it's 60 years earlier. But that's another that's another part of the the conversation, because I'm snipping it right there. And I'm telling this to you for one reason. If you go and you look at the number of people who were involved with his British security company, it may have been called that. It's BSC. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 
and then what they became afterwards. So they were agents of the British intelligence and their job in America was to teach how, like literally how to go and write the, the, uh, the news articles, which one would sway and create public opinion, but two be able to go and hide secret information in the public uh, messages. So like a spy would be able to read it. So, oh. so like, imagine like the, the, the Winston Smiths of the world, like, you know, the people behind the scenes who do the actual work, like not like the, not like the names who we all know, but like the people who did the work. Right. So who had the skills, right? Because how else would you do it? You had to know what the hell you're doing. You need to know the techniques. So, um, yeah, Ronald Dahl is one of those guys. Uh, uh, another one is, let me go and and it's, it's been so long that, uh, what do they call Nielsen, like Nielsen, uh, like public Nielsen ratings. Yeah. Like that whole idea shapes everyone's opinion on everything. Yep. That guy came out of that program. Um, they're like, uh, Ogilvy, like, you know, like Ogilvy, the, the, not the, 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 the advertising. Company? Yes. Yes. Ogilvy came out of it. He like totally changed advertising. So all of this like knowledge, which was being used by this group. And these are just three people who I could find on Wikipedia. Like imagine the people who aren't on Wikipedia. So, so I don't even know how we even got here. Somehow you, you, we mentioned something. Oh, Ronald Dahl and, and Willy Wonka. That's what it is. So, <laughs> so Willy Wonka, like I look at popular culture from a very, very like, and you could say that maybe it's a little bit too sinister, but I think it's fun. You know, I don't take it that seriously, but I'd look for that story. Um, like I look at Wonka. I look at the, the Wonka movie and the Wonka story and all of the books that came from him were highly subversive, mm -hmm. highly subversive. But at the same time, it was like, it was like subliminal, liminal, criminal. Like, it's like, you can't get enough of it. It's like, mm, I like this. Let me read this a third time. Can right. I read this a fourth time? Oh, I like the way that peach looks on the drawing on the front. Damn. Like everything about that was like seductive. Okay, so have you pinpointed, because you have this knowledge, he was in the program, were his books tools of programming? His books were like 15, 20 years later. So what you have to do, or the question which you ask yourself is, is this still part of that program, or did that program let them free, and this is what naturally came from it? Well, There's I mean, general... kind of, that question is so prevalent in all of it, right? Tulsi Gabbard, Putin, are they are they still working for the nefarious forces that trained them or have they gone rogue, right? So there's there's a general rule of thumb, whether or not it's true or not, I don't know. But the general rule of thumb is like once you're in the company, you're always part of the company. Right. So if that holds water, well, then, yeah, it's all still one way. So this is where it gets so tricky. It's like when you throw in, when you throw in uh, the idea of controlled opposition. So it's like, so, okay, you're a person, you're looking at all this stuff and you're like, something's not right. Something's not right. And you get your hands on like something like you'd be like, what was the guy's name? Butler Smetler, like wars are racket. You're, you, that was like a big book. And so everyone's reading that in the thirties and they're like, I knew it, I knew it. And then they begin to go and, and frame up like, okay, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. And I'm like, okay, I got it now. And then they whisper in your ear, there's controlled opposition. Just because you think that they're the bad, good guys, they're actually under the subconscious influence of the bad, good guys. And then you're like, I don't even know who to root for anymore. It's just like Bosnia, Herzegovina all over again. I never knew who I was supposed to root for then. And it's like, I don't know who to root for now. So I just stopped rooting. 
I just stopped rooting other than for like beauty and kindness and sweetness and like being true and authentic and like being carried by by the 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 wave of life. That's that that's how I met that because I went through that. I called it the James Shelby Downard vortex. Well, it's interesting because it brings it back to something we said earlier about honing in on a capital T, capital T truth and then trying to dis decipher the good, the bad based on these reductive polarities. I'm similar to you. For me, I'm I'm rooting for capital L life, capital T truth and love. And, and however that shows itself, and it's probably not gonna be in front of a lot of cameras on the global stage. You, sir, in the blue Susquehanna alchemy shirt. Define love for me, please. <laughs> so you can't say that that is a grounding principle or, or at least say like this is as much this is the best I can define it because I, I like what you're saying, but I want to make certain I understand what you're saying. Okay, well, okay, I, I will. I'm going to simplify with I'm not I don't want to say I don't know because I don't want to program my subconscious with uh, that I don't know what love is and I used to say serving light and that was kind of my test when i was dealing with a mystical person where i wasn't clear where they were are you serving light and i posed that question to one of these mystical people at one point and he said i serve sound because the only way to see light in this dimension is through an inversion so it's part of that inverted reality <laughs> right it totally blew my mind yeah, and i was yeah. like what you just pulled my worldview completely out from under me I don't know what to do with that. So I've truncated it to love, which feels like a little bit of a cop-out, which you just called me on. I don't really know. <laughs> All right, can I, can, can I give you my definition? Because I think about this stuff. This is the yep. sort of stuff, like when, when like other people are doing other stuff and then I'm doing something, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing that. So, okay. <laughs> uh, love refers to the, uh, the connective agency of all of life. Like whatever it is that it like holds it all together when you recognize that it's all part of like the same thing, like whatever that thing is, like that is the love. And then it's expressed in all of these different ways. A lot of it is inversion. The fact that love is phonetically the same as evil backwards tells you a little bit about how they've spelled it into people's minds, but there's a truth. And there's also a truth about a decay in this realm, but there's an expansion decay, but the overall thing is about expansion. And so, so there's a truth also about the, the evil love like dichotomy, but the bigger picture is like the overall trend, which is like, this is about so, like something expanding. And then that's what the way to me, what that word means is understanding that and how it's all part of it. Like even the decay, even the decay. Okay, that's exactly what I was getting when you were, when you started talking about it in terms of the interconnectedness of all things. And as for me, I was feeling it viscerally of like, well, love is an expansion that embraces and includes and accepts and acknowledges everything. So I feel like we're on the same page. I, I would definitely what say What are you so. holding? <laughs> what do you mean? Like in my hands? Yes. Uh, what, are, what are they? Uh, all right. I'm thinking this was a gift. This was a gift from, um, I want to say this is Ross Ben. So he's like a crystal guy. So when crystal people give you crystals, like always when it's a gift, it's always the best, right? Totally. Um, so this one, it looks like it's smoky surrounding something else. Like I could see the, uh, I can see the shape of something which the smoky is surrounding. It's probably a quartz, but I like that. 
And I like who Can it came be the from. grail? I think Could it's it smoke the surrounding the grail. All right. It's the grail. <laughs> so this is the grail stone. Okay. So I've got the grail. So I pick it up and run really fast. So this is Great. now known as the grail stone. Awesome. And so it's like the next time someone asks me, they're like, well, what is that? And I don't have to like, well, I'm just giving it to me by Ross. And like, I'm a... no, I mean, like, it's the grail yeah. stone. What Great. do you think it is? It's the <laughs> grail stone. Why? Because smoke is surrounding. And I know because smoke is surrounding it. Great. And I already indicated that I'm this, I, I like that smoke realm. So then exactly. this one is, I think they call this melody stone. Oh, that's pretty. And, or they also call it super seven. And uh, there's a whole, this is my opinion. It's interesting because I love the story, but, but there's a marketing, there's a marketing campaign behind it. Like whenever you got a crystal with a brand name, uh, you know, there's a little yeah, bit super of that. Seven. that makes sense. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's fun to exactly. say. Gentlemen, come on through. Thank you, Dr. One. Who are you speaking with today? Danny, you are in luck because we have the gnome man himself popping in. Let me get him in the screen. Hello, sir. And who is this, Jen? This da Danny Katz. Danny. Danny Katz. I've heard about you. Oh, wow. And, uh, Dr. Juan. And this is my friend, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Are you Mr. Hello. Rich? Is that correct? That is correct. It's so That's nice good. to meet you, Mr. Rich. Hi, Anthony. Nice to meet you, too. Nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. And where are you located as we speak? I'm in northern New Mexico. Oh, northern New Mexico. Are you close to the, the raging fires? Kind of. <laughs> That's a little frightening. It, yeah, no, we, we're not into those. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been blessed with some rain. So that's been a nice, well, nice blessing. And what do you do there, Danny? Um, I think a basic overall umbrella term would be rabble rouser. Yeah. <laughs> I also teach people how to use language to create and transform reality. And I also teach homeschool students about propaganda and critical thinking. Well, good for you. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen any gnomes? Um, not yet. No, I haven't either, but I've had so much fun looking for them. Well, and I feel, I feel like by naming your whole Operation Gnome Countryside, it's bound to attract them at some point. Well, I'm sort of hoping so. And uh, I've been looking for them here for 43 years now. And uh, that's how I've made my living, looking for gnomes. I honor your tenacity. Yes, well, thank you, Danny. <laughs> and I'm curious, Danny, how old are you? Um, I forgot. I stopped counting a few lifetimes ago. Well, come on, you can come up with it. Um, I don't really play in the linear time realm because it activates oh, the mortality oh, okay. codes, well, which then goes we'll against my whole dharma question. here. <laughs> okay, Danny, we'll change the question. Uh, to what is the most valuable lesson? We all have learned valuable lessons. Even if you're 17 years old, you've mm -hmm. learned valuable lessons. And I'm, I know you're older than that. So um, what is the most valuable lesson, Danny, you've learned uh, in your life? Um, to take good care of one's teeth. To take good care of one's teeth. teeth. Oh, I talk about that on my trail. 
because that was a mistake I made when I was young. I did See? not take good care of my teeth. And we understand gnomes live to be about 400. So my guess is they would take very good care of their teeth. And I go to Costa Rica for my dental work. And you probably go to Mexico. Exactly. Because in Costa Rica, a root canal is $200. In Quarryville, it's $1,600. And I've had... Um, how many implants, uh, six implants done in Costa Rica, and they've all been perfect and uh, no problems at all. Good, so, I'm happy to hear that. I find the dental work is much better quality in Mexico than it is in the States. And then people don't hassle me about fixing things that I don't think are wrong with my teeth. That's exactly right, yeah. Well, Danny, what a pleasure. So nice to meet you, Mr. Rich. So nice to meet you too. and. This is uh, a very interesting young man here. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Danny. Bye. Have a great day. Bye, Anthony. for tuning in to this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I trust you enjoyed the first half of my conversation with Michael Wan. Before directing you over to part two of our conversation, I'm reminding you to like, to share, to subscribe, to be sure that you can stay abreast of my every next episode. And as long as we're on the topic of subscribing, I highly recommend signing up for my mailing list over at my Danny Katz com site. Not only will it keep you in the loop for my every workshop, webinar, video drop, podcast drop, special offering, it also gives you instant access to a free PDF called Five Quantum Languaging Hacks for Instant Empowerment. These are really simple superhero quantum languaging tools to keep in your superhero tool belt to make use of on the regular. And you can find part two of my conversation with Michael Wan on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Danny Katz, or on my locals page, dannycats.locals.com. You could subscribe for as little as $2 a month. So I'll see you over there for part two of my conversation with Michael Wan. Check out my website, dannycats.com as well. Track all of my latest content on my Locals page, dannycats.locals.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you soon, tribe.